Well, it certainly is a delight for me to be able to be here with you this morning. I invite your attention to 2 Samuel chapter 15. 2 Samuel 15. I kind of set the scene for you, what's happened leading up to this. David's oldest son, Amnon, had raped his sister. And in retribution, David's third-born son, Absalom, killed Amnon. And he had fled the country, left the country, and was off in hiding. And David eventually allowed Absalom to return to Israel, but not in justice. David ignored Absalom's sin, and despite the fact that David as king should have either banished him from Israel or put him to death, he ignored Absalom's sin allowed Absalom to return to Israel. And what we see here in chapter 15 is David nearly ceased to be king because of it, because he allowed him to return, not in justice. The title of the, the message is The Two Reactions to the Kingship of Christ. The Two Reactions to the Kingship of Christ. And the picture we have here is that God the King would cease to be king if he was unjust and unholy in showing mercy by ignoring sin. David had a disaster on his hands because he ignored the sin of his son. Just as the Lord prophesied and promised, the sword had come to David's house because of his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah, and David nearly lost the throne. Not only is this a disaster for David, this is a disaster for all of Israel. And we would have a much bigger disaster on our hands if God ignored sin in an attempt to show mercy. That salvation wouldn't be salvation at all. And it certainly would not be sure salvation because justice was not satisfied if God ignored sin in an attempt to show mercy. Now this very dark, maybe the darkest hour in David's reign pictures the two darkest hours in all of human history. In this chapter, there's a picture of the fall of man. And there's also a picture of Christ the King suffering at the hands of the creature. Now, what brought on those two dark hours, those two darkest hours in human history? What brought those two hours on? In both instances, it's rebellion against God's crown rights as king. Both of those hours are man's rebellion against God's kingship. What did Satan tell Eve in the garden? It's all right if you eat that fruit. God knows in the hour that you eat that fruit, you'll be as God's. You'll be, what he's telling her is you'll be equal with God if you eat that fruit. God, That's what God knows. Well, boy, that sounded good to Adam and Eve. They wanted to get out of this oppressive rule of God that they were under. Really? They just had one law. Just one. And just one was enough to make them rebel against God's kingship. That's how much man hates the kingship, the authority of God Almighty. And at the cross, what was the issue? We'll not have this man to reign over us. We have no king but Caesar. Don't say he's the king of the Jews. Right, he said he's the king of the Jews. It's rebellion against God's kingship. And they mocked him as king, 
and they crucified him as king. They're very willing to have him as a miracle worker. They're very willing to have him as a do-good or a prophet going around trying to teach people to do good, but they won't have him as king. And that's the reaction of this flesh to God's kingship in every instance. It's hatred and it's rebellion. But that reaction changes when God works in mercy and gives a new heart and a new nature. That person will lovingly bow to Christ as king. We'll bow to him as savior, yes. But first, we're going to bow to him as king. He's king. And that's the two reactions to the kingship of Christ that I hope we see this morning. Now, verse 1 of 2 Samuel 15. It came to pass after this that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. Now, the people should have immediately recognized someone not acting like a king. You can read this at your leisure this afternoon in Deuteronomy 17. The Lord gave commandment concerning the king. Many, many years before he gave them a king, he said, now there's a day coming, I'm going to give you a king. And when I do, the king's not to multiply to himself chariots and horses and men. Exactly what Solomon did. He wasn't even king yet, and this is what he was doing. Think what he'd do if he got his hands on the crown. Think how far he'd go then. Matthew Henry said this. He said, he who knows how to obey well will know how to rule well. And that's, that's pretty good to consider. And isn't that a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, the king? He obeyed well. He obeyed God perfectly. And he rules the same way, perfectly. But people should have recognized a man not acting as king. Just like people should recognize when they hear a God preached who doesn't act like God. The God that men preach today does not act like God. He's, not, he's a beggar. He's not God. Absalom's way is not the way the Lord Jesus Christ came. When our Lord came, he didn't come breaking God's law. He didn't come ignoring God's law when it was convenient for him. He honored God's law. He magnified it and honored it. And he didn't come as a king with a great entourage running before him. He came with shepherds and fishermen, the lowly people. He didn't come riding on a chariot. Look over Matthew 21. Here's how our Lord came. Here's how the king came. In Matthew 21, verse 1, And when they drew nigh to Jerusalem, or come to Bethpage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied in a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, you shall say, The Lord hath need of them. And straightway he will send them. Sounds like a king talking, doesn't it? All this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the, f the foal of an ass. That's how the king came. He didn't come with all these men and chariots and horses. He came lowly, riding on an ass. But Absalom didn't come that way. And Absalom's problem is this. He didn't want David to be king. He wanted to be king. He hated God's authority over him. That was Adam's problem in the garden. That was Absalom's problem here. It's our problem today. We don't want God to be king. 
We want to be king. We don't want anyone to be absolutely sovereign over us, to do with us as he will. So the natural man rebels against God's authority. And that's what Absalom's doing. Now, verse 2, back in our text, And Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. And it was so that when any man had a controversy, came to the king for judgment, that Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city art thou? And he said, Thy servant is of one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. Absalom said, Moreover, Oh, that I were made judge in the land, that every man which hath any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. Now Absalom rose up early in the morning and came to the way of the gate. This is the place of judgment where someone come who had trouble and so forth, they would come to get the matter settled. And Absalom went there trying to set himself up as judge. And again, just like he wasn't acting as king, people should have seen he's not acting like a judge. This is a bad judge. He's announcing judgment after hearing just one side of the issue. They should have recognized that, but they didn't. But also Absalom is trying to set himself up between the people and David. He's trying to set himself up as the mediator between the people and David. But he's not doing it to help the people. He's not doing it in an effort to help the people. He's doing it to block their way to David, to make the people dependent upon him not David. That's the problem. Sound familiar to you? That's exactly what Catholic priests do. They set themselves up between men and God, not trying to help people, to trying to block their way to God, to make men dependent upon them, not on the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't need a man like us to go to God. You need a man but it's the man Christ Jesus. There's one mediator between God and men, the man, the man, Christ Jesus. He's the way to God. Go to him. Go to him. And Absalom, he's trying to to take up this position as mediator and take over the kingdom with a lie. He's not telling the truth. He's trying to do this with a lie. There was a man deputed to settle the issue. It was David. (laughs) There was a a means set up. He's trying to take the kingdom over with a lie. Exactly what Satan did in the garden. Exactly. He tried to take over God's kingdom with a lie. Now, if you want to know whether or not a preacher is telling the truth, here's the standard. Here's the standard. Find out if what he's saying is coming from this book. If what he's saying matches what God says... Let God be true and every man a liar. Find out if what he's saying matches this word or not. Nobody ever went to David and asked, is this true? Find out if what he's saying is true. Here's here's all the truth man will ever need. Find out if what he's saying is the truth or not. And with this lie, what Absalom is doing is trying to lower David in the eyes of the people. He's trying to tear David down. And that's exactly the way false prophets steal the hearts of men and women today by lowering the sovereign. They don't preach God as he is. They try to lower the the sovereign. Absalom couldn't steal the hearts of the people by openly blasting David. So he was very subtle. 
and he made people unhappy with the way David was governing them. Now, granted, he was doing it with a lie, but he's questioning the way David governs. That's what Satan did in the garden, isn't it? He's questioning the way David gov- or God governed. And people hear the gospel and they say, no, no, that's not right. God doesn't have the right to save whom he will. That's not fair. Everybody's got to have a chance. That's not fair that God chooses, that God gives life to whom he will. If that is the way that God saves, I'll not have that God. People say that. Or they say, no, I could never let worship a God that lets you know, this catastrophe happen or this disaster happen. Now, wait a minute. Be very careful. That's questioning God's government. That's questioning the way he governs. God is not to be worshipped for what he's done for me. God's to be worshipped for who he is. Now, he's God. He's to be worshipped for who he is. Now, I am unspeakably thankful for what God's done for me and his son. I'm so thankful. That's a reason to give thanks, but it's not the only reason we worship. God's to be worshipped for who he is. He's God. And there can be no worship when men try to bring God down to our level. can't be. It's an utter impossibility. And that's what Absalom's doing. He's trying to bring David down in the eyes of the people. And in verse 5, he goes on, and when it was so that when any man came nigh to him to do him obeisance, he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. Now, I'm sure Absalom did let men bow down to him. But then in this show of false humility, you know, he quickly picked him up and said, no, now you don't have to do that. You know, and he kissed him. And what he's trying to do is win them over by puffing them up, by making them feel real good about themselves. Fawning over people is a real good way to win people's heart. They just, the flesh just falls for that every time. But this is how man's religion tries to win people over, win their hearts. They tell them, no, you don't have to bow to King Jesus. It's up to you to accept him or not accept him. That message exalts the flesh. Now, if you don't get anything else I say this morning, you get this. We must bow to King Jesus. He's king. And there's coming a day that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. He's Lord to the glory of God the Father. God help us. God cause us to bow now, not be forced to bow then. Well, verse 6, And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Now, I cannot go on without, with this verse without making this comment. I don't want to get up on my soapbox, but I must make this statement. Here's a warning to young parents. You know why Absalom did this? Why he kept going and going and going and going? David never stopped him. David never one time said, wait a minute, son. Absalom tested the waters. David never said anything. So he went a little further. David never said anything. He went a little further. David never said anything until there were just no restraints. And he stole the hearts of Israel because David never stopped him. He never stopped him when he was a boy, and he didn't stop him now. And ultimately, he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Does it, does it amaze you how quickly men forget 
I mean, it's, it's human nature has always been, what have you done for me lately? David was so quickly forgotten. Israel just plumb forgot the songs they sang about David, how David had killed his ten thousands. They just seemed to completely forget David, how he delivered them from Goliath, how he delivered them from the Philistines and the Amalekites and every enemy David delivered them from. They just forgot. And Absalom was able to steal the hearts of the people with flattery. Not with truth, with flattery. Just the exact thing that false prophets do, flattering the flesh and puffing up the flesh in order to keep you giving them money and being able to come count you as numbers and things. That's exactly what they do. And the very scary thing to me is it was the men of Israel that Absalom stole. He stole the hearts of the men of Israel. It wasn't the Philistines. It was the men of Israel. It was David's own people. Can my heart, can your heart be stolen away from the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I suppose that depends. Are you satisfied with Christ? I mean, are you just satisfied with him? Are you looking for something new and better, new and improved? If you're satisfied with Christ, your heart can't be stolen. Not from him it can't. But he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And verse 7, it came to pass after 40 years. Now this was 40 years after Saul was first anointed as king. After 40 years of having a king. The hearts of the people of Israel hadn't changed. They're still looking for something new. and you know That's why they wanted Saul. They're looking for something new and better. Forty years later, they're still doing the same thing. Absalom said unto the king, I pray thee, let me go and pay my vow, which I vowed unto the Lord in Hebron. For thy servant vowed a vow while I abode at Geshur in Syria, saying, If the Lord shall bring me again indeed to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. And you see how Absalom is hiding behind religion. He's covering his sin in religion, in a cloak of religion. And that's exactly what Satan does. Like Brother Henry said so many times, Satan doesn't operate in the honky-tonks and the bars and those places. I don't know what a honky-tonk is exactly, but he says that's not where Satan operates. He operates in the pulpit. He himself is an angel of light. He transformed his ministers into ministers of what? Righteousness. The law, the, all these things. And false prophets, these men who just, they, they cloak everything they're doing in this cloak of religion and they make themselves rich and they get into all this horrible stuff hiding behind religion. And that's how they're able to do it. You know, nobody, like the Wizard of Oz, nobody looks behind the curtain. Nobody, it's just a, a cloak of religion. Nobody, you know, will question that. David didn't either. Look in verse 9, the king said unto him, Well, go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. But Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigneth in Hebron. Now the whole point of Absalom's rebellion comes down to this. Who's going to be king? Who's going to reign? And Absalom's problem is, is our problem by nature. The question is, who's going to reign? Is it me or is it God? Who's going to reign? A man or a woman by nature refuses to bow to Christ and refuses to submit to him because we want to be king. 
We don't want someone else to be able to tell us what to do. If you want to see rebellion in a person, just tell them you can't do something. I mean, as soon as you tell them you can't do that, as soon as you tell them don't touch that, that's all they want to do because it's human nature to not want somebody to tell me what to do. That's our nature. That's our problem. It's pictured here in what everything Absalom's doing. So verse 11, and with Absalom went 200 men out of Jerusalem that were called, and they went in their simplicity, and they knew not anything. They didn't know what was going on, and that's so sad. These men didn't know the rebellion that was going on. They just followed along in their simplicity. And this is exactly why spiritually dead men and women follow a false prophet and a false gospel because they don't know any better. And that's so sad. Oh, it just makes me sad. And that's why we're so insistent on teaching God's word, preaching God's word, so you won't be led astray in your simplicity, so you be taught better than this. You won't be blown about with every wind of doctrine. And these men just went in their simplicity. But look at verse 12. And Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilonite, David's counselor, from his city, even from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy was strong, for the people increased continually with Absalom. Now some were deceived. This man, Ahithophel, was not deceived. He partakes in this rebellion willingly. He became a leader of this rebellion. And he's just like Adam, he's just like Judas, became a leader of this rebellion. And if you read through the, the next few chapters, what you'll find is Ahithophel suffers the very same fate as Judas. He go, ultimately, he'll go and hang himself. You see, he'd been a close friend of David's. He'd been as a counselor, has been a close friend of him, and now he rebels against David's kingship, just exactly like Judas did. Look over at uh, Psalm 41. It was during this very time that David wrote this Psalm 41. And he's speaking of Ahithophel. In verse 9 of Psalm 41, Yea, mine own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. All oh, this just broke David's heart. But if you look over in, in John 13, you'll see I'm not, just, I'm not exaggerating this, tying this to, to Judas. Our Lord applied that very verse that David wrote of Ahithophel to himself. In John 13, verse 18, our Lord says, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen. But that the scripture may be fulfilled, he that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. He's speaking of Judas, lifting up his heel against him in rebellion to his kingship. Well, in verse 13, back in our text, 2 Samuel 15, verse 13. And there came a messenger to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. And David said unto all his servants that were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, for we shall not else escape from Absalom. Make speed to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring evil upon us and smite the city with the edge of the sword. Now it seems in a way that David is kind of acting cowardly here. He's not staying and fighting. This, this is not the warrior David that we know. He's fleeing, and it seems kind of cowardly. But I don't think that's why he's doing this. I think he's so ready to flee because he's been waiting for God's judgment to fall on him. Ever since Nathan told him 
The sword's not depart from thy house. I'm going to raise up evil against you out of your own house. David's been waiting on this judgment to fall upon him. The Lord promised him this would happen, so David doesn't feel like he can fight it, so he just flees. And I think he also flees for this reason. He knew God was just in sending this judgment upon him, and he just fled. Now, up till now, this is a horrible story, isn't it? I mean, it's just such a sad story. But all's not lost. All is never lost because the Lord Jesus Christ is king. He set his affection on a people. Look at verse 15. And the king's servants said unto the king, Behold, thy servants are ready to do whatsoever my lord the king shall appoint. All is not lost. In the midst of all this rebellion, here's faith and loyalty pictured. David's earned that kind of loyalty. Shouldn't everybody in Israel have had this kind of loyalty and love to David? He's earned it. He didn't get it from everybody, but he got it from these men. And our Lord, the son of David, he's earned this kind of faith and love from his people. Now, false professors are going to come and go. They're going to leave. Don't be shocked. Be disappointed. But don't be shocked. They're going to come and they're going to go. But take confidence in this. The believer will never leave. Will never leave the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the evidence of real salvation, of God's salvation. In Colossians 1, Paul said, Now this is the evidence of salvation if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you've heard. Those people will never leave. They'll be like, like these servants of David. We're going to do whatever you appoint. And that word appoint is choose. David, whatever you choose for us, we're going to do it. We're going with you. Whatever it is you choose. Well, what is it that Christ the King appoints for his people? What is it that he chooses for his people? Well, you know, it's not complicated. Honestly, it's not. It's faith. It's just believe that God is. You believe that God is who he says he is and follow him. Just trust him. Just rest in him. Depend upon him. Look to Christ and keep looking to him. Come to Christ and be like Peter to whom coming. I'm coming again and again. You keep coming to him. Keep looking to him. Keep depending upon him. That's the heart of a true believer. And I know because we're in this flesh, the strength of our faith and our courage and our commitment, eh, kind of like a sine wave, isn't it? I can identify with these men. Lord, I'm ready to go wherever you appoint. Whatever you choose. Are we ready? I'm asking myself this. Are we really ready to go where the Lord sends? Are we really ready to do what it is that the Lord requires? Are we ready to suffer for his name's sake? Is my desire, is your desire to be where Christ is? Is your desire to be where Christ is preached? I've been coming up here a pretty good while. I believe it is. This is the same people. I, the first time I preached here it must have been 17 years ago. It's the exact same people. I believe it is. Thank God. Thank God for his grace. This is at the heart of his servant saying, David, whatever you appoint, that's where I'm going to go. Well, verse 
16, And the king went forth and all his household after him. And the king left ten women, which were concubines, to keep the house. And the king went forth and all the people after him and tarried in a place that was far off. And all his servants passed on beside him, all the Cherethites and the Pelethites and all the Gittites, 600 men which came after him from Gath, passed on before the king. Then said the king to Atai the Gittite, Wherefore goest thou also with us? Return to thy place and abide with the king, for thou art a stranger and also an exile. Whereas thou camest but yesterday, should I this day make thee go up and down with us, seeing I go whither I may? I don't know where I'm going. Why should I ask you to go with me where I don't know where I'm going? Seeing I go whither, whither I may, return thou and take back thy brethren. Mercy and truth be with thee. Now David is just like our Lord. He's not going to force anybody to follow him. Our Lord has a 100% volunteer army following him. Remember in John 6, that multitude had been following the Lord. and They heard him preach and they say, now this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? And many left him. Didn't follow him anymore. Just 12, oh, the whole multitude, just 12 left. Well, you better hang on to them. You're not going to have anybody. Our Lord turned to him and said, you're free to go. Will you also go away? I'm not forcing you. And Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. We believe, we're sure, thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. We don't have anywhere else to go. You're our only hope. We're staying with you. And David tells Atei the same thing. Go back home. You don't have to suffer with me. You, you just got here. You just go back. Solomon will leave you, or, or Absalom will leave you alone. Just go back. Go back home, and mercy and truth be with you. Peace. Just don't, don't go out. You don't have to go out and suffer with me. But Atei says in verse 21, he answered the king and said, As the Lord liveth, and as my Lord the king liveth, surely what place my Lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also will thy servant be. Atei tells David, David, I'm not going to leave you, even if it costs me my life. In life or in death, I'm going to be with you. You know why Atei said that? He loves David. He loves David. He doesn't love what David can give him. He's not following David for gain. David didn't have anything to give him at this point. He's following David because he loves the person of David. He's not following David for hope of gain. He's following David for love's sake. And this is exactly how a believer loves the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the love of Christ that constrains me. I follow him for love's sake. To whom shall we go? There's nobody else. There's nowhere else to go. Nobody else to go to. I'm looking to him. This afternoon, try this on for size. As much as the, our finite brain can try to comprehend this, try to think about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think how he loved you. How he came to give himself a ransom for your soul. Just try. And I believe you'll say with the songwriter, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, and my all. Where he goes, that's where I'm going to go. He's my life. And this man, Atei, Janet used to read this, these books, Junie B. Jones. And I, I love Junie B. Jones, the way she talks. 
I'm with Junie B. Jones. This is what she say about a Tay. I love that guy. I mean, I just love this guy. He's a Philistine. He's not an Israelite. He's a heathen. Now, he's become a Jewish proselyte, but he's a Philistine by birth. He's a heathen by birth. Can we say the same thing of a Tay? Lord said about that Roman centurion? That Roman centurion said, Lord, you don't have to come to my house. I'm not worthy. You just, you just say the word. Our Lord said, I've not found so great faith, not in Israel. I found it in this heathen. I found it in a heathen. And all a Tay I wanted to do is be where David was, wherever that was. It didn't have to be in the palace. He's content out in the wilderness if that's where David is. There's a story that Spurgeon told of a little boy. And the way Spurgeon told the story, that boy was, was saved. He believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And his desire, he said, was to be where Christ is. And they said, well, you know, would that be, you know, here or there? He said, yeah. It'd be. He said, what if, what if the Lord caused you to leave this earth and go to heaven? He said, that'd be fine. If, the, if Christ is there, that's where I want to be. And they said, what if he goes to hell? The little boy said, then it ceased to be hell because my Savior's there. I want to be where he is, where he is. Is that our desire? <laughs> to be where Christ is no matter the cost? If we have that kind of faith, who made us to differ? Oh, give thanks. Faith is the gift of God. And these are not just words on paper to a Tai. He's serious about this. I know he's serious about it because he publicly identifies with David. Look at verse 22. And David said to Atai, go and pass over. And Atai the Gittite, this heathen, he passed over all his men and all his little ones that were with him. This man publicly identified with David. When he crossed over that stream, there's no going back. He can't go back now. If he go back to Jerusalem now, Absalom would kill him. He's been publicly identified with David. He crossed over. This is a picture of baptism. He publicly identified with David. And years and years and years later, you know who passed over this very brook? Christ the King. On his way to Gethsemane, he crossed this brook for his people. This is the brook that Tai the Gittite crossed over, identifying with David. And any believer that the Lord calls is going to cross over this brook. We're going to cross over and publicly identify with Christ our King. We can do no other. That's the two reactions to the kingship of Christ. It's not exactly an, an option. It's what your nature will do. The nature of the flesh will rebel. The nature of the Spirit will bow to Him, follow Christ, no matter the cost. God give us that Spirit, that nature. All right. Well, Lord bless you.